Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country, with a pedal to the metal, with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up. Here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Boy, we are so glad you're with us today. What a day for food. What a day for food. I got here just in time. It's chicken day at the Kehala, um, but we have a bunt. What is that? Is that a bunt cake? Is that what you call those, those round things? A bunt cake that's like natural and it was made in a, what is it called? It's a zucchini bread made in a bunt pan. Then we have cheese pastries with fruit on them, which makes them helpful. Uh, then, of course, Stabley's making sure the ice cream doesn't melt in his own special way that we can always count on, caramel ice cream. And then we have uh, zucchinis, fresh from the garden, chicken thighs, done slow cooked in the crock pot, some yellow tomatoes, and some uh, chicken on the bone, chicken legs on the bone. So you go hungry here, man, something's wrong with you. Hey, we, we're sending out our prayers and I'll have a word at the end for the, um, for the Sellers family. And also for the other families out there struggling, we also want to say a special prayer for the Cox family in their loss uh, today. And that we'll be praying for them and ready to serve them in any way that they, uh, any way that they need. Been a lot of suffering in the world. Been a lot of folks just locally and in our Kehala community that um, that need our care and compassion. And a lot of people struggling emotionally. You know, this this has been a week that that through my ministry and through personal and professional relationships, I've been. Um, I've, I've been in contact with people who are who are struggling, and so it's one of those things that, quite frankly, you know, is the hardest thing. Emotional struggles are the hardest thing to deal with and to help because it's a little bit nebulous in a way. And you know, if you deal with somebody that's broken their leg or you know anything like that, well, it's obvious you're looking at their leg and it's broken or their arm and it's broken. It's funny just then. I'm thinking leg, but I'm pointing to my arm. Go figure. Brain injuries, fun with brain injuries. Uh, but the the point of it is, is that with emotional struggles, it's really different. It's, it's a really different thing. And um, it is a hard thing because you can't see it. I think of this uh, also with fellow sufferers of arthritis and internal things, blood pressure. You can't see blood pressure. So it's hard for people to empathize with that. They just view you, you know, well, what's wrong with you? You look like you're a whiner to me. You know, your your arthritis looks like you're a whiner. It's what it looks like to me. But it's really not. It's a terrible, terrible. But um, so 
But I just want to say, just as we get started, we're going to be talking about a, a, a unique topic. And now, any of you who have read my book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, available on Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, my website, TheNinjaPastor.com, over on books. You click on the link, it takes you right there, good to go. It's very inexpensive. Basically, I'm paying you at this point to take my book. So if you buy it, and if you buy it on Kindle, literally, you get a chunk of the house that I live in. They just give that to you because that's how cheap it is. And, and Kindle, boy, that's that's a losing proposition for authors. Let me just tell you that. So anyway, all that said to say this, Excellence Kill the Church, How Media Africa Story in America. If you've read the book so far, um, then you know that it's written in two voices, or maybe you don't know. If you've read the book and you're like, what is going on with this guy? He's got split personality. It's really written in two verse voices. It's written in the voice of the pastor or the shepherd, the leader of the Kehla, up on the pulpit. You know, he's behind the pulpit or up on the, you know, behind the lectern, whatever. He's up there. He's leading. He's preaching. He's speaking from there as the leader of the Kehla. Then the, the other voice that's used in that is like a bivocational pastor, uh, not someone that's not sure of their sexuality. Bivocational refers to, I want to be clear on that, you know, it's an issue that we need to be clear these days. Bivocational means you're a pastor full-time and you have a job or a business full-time. So you that's how you, you live, a bivocational pastor, is kind of how it used to be all the time in, in the very early days. In the ancient of days, that's how it was. Uh, so same type of thing, two voices. From the church dealing with uh, things of God, your life before God. Not that these two are separate, but then dealing with out in the community. What type of job do you do? How do you work? What do you, you know, your your toil, your, your you know, the pursuits. So we'll go into detail on that. But I want to explain that in advance because you're going to think I'm talking uh, with two different personalities, but I'm really not. It's intended. So you've all heard that the, the uh, J-O-B, you know, which a lot of people say just out of, just out of bucks or what, there's a saying people said to me, people, when I announced this, they, uh, just over budget type of thing. Uh, so your J-O-B, your job being your pursuit, your passion, your calling, your drive, your joy, your career. Medicine would be that. That would be the type of thing. My daughter's in um, veterinary medical school and she is it is her passion, but in reality, and it will be her career, but in reality, what she's really passionate about, what she loves to do is sing, dance, and act. She's really great at it. She's hilarious. She's excellent. She's, she's really, uh, just really good. I, I know her, I'm biased. I could watch her all day. But the point is, is that, you know, so there's two different things. So there's the job, right? We go and our career, our our pursuit, our, our the, the um, I don't know what we would call it. There's probably a better way to put it. But your career, it's not just a job that you have for a while, right? Because you spend three-quarters of a million dollars. By the time she's finished, there'll be close to $300,000 spent. You can empathize with that. As physicians and, and dentists and all that, it's just so much money. It's just so difficult. So you've, you've poured yourself into this pursuit, this career. So it doggone well better be a career so that you can pay back that money, right? Because you've got to pay back your student loans um, and, and, you know, get back to even at some point. So, and I don't think most people really realize, not for nothing, but doctors and vets and dentists, they work ridiculous hours coming out of medical school and they make pennies. I mean, it's just, it's, it's low. I think it's lower than minimum wage is what I'm told. It, and, and you're working hundred hour weeks. 
uh, you're sleeping some days not at all. I mean, it's a crazy system. Yeah, it's really, really nuts. It's, it's a nuts thing. I have a good friend. Hello to Catherine and, and Austin. Uh, Catherine's going through that right now, and Austin's going through it with her because he loves her and he wants to be the best husband he can. I know that he is. And, and so it is just a hard thing. Well, you certainly wouldn't go, well, you know, I'm thinking about quitting this and going to work over to AutoZone or, or uh, the local grocery. You know, I hear they're hiring. You know, I hear Aldi's is hiring. You know, well, they make, you know, twelve fifty an hour to start. That's pretty good. You don't do that, right? Because you, unless you just can't emotionally go any further in that, you just have to say, look, I got to know when to fish or cut bait, which is saying that makes no sense at all, but it's a saying nonetheless. And it connotes you don't know what to do. Well, in this career, in a career that you've so much invested, you don't just willy-nilly go, I'm out. You know, I'm going to go do this other thing. So you have to you have to be invested in it. So we would look at that more as a career, a profession, right? But some people, uh, my brother Randy, you know, he's in his 60s, and he still is a master mason. He still works outside in all kinds of weather, works hard, physically hard, uh, lifting these 75-pound blocks and these bricks. And he does all the fancy, you know, he's one of the top guys, and so he does all the fancy brick work and, and all that stuff. But he still out, out lays bricks. You know, the, the young guys are wiping the sweat of their brow. By the way, welcome to chat. I apologize for not saying hello. How are you guys? I'm so glad to see you. Um, look, <laughs> ZXB Pete says, I ate this time before logging in. Won't get me to growling. <laughs> I love that. Well, that's a shame. They had to put down their best laying and got attacked by a skunk. Did you even know that a skunk would attack like that? Didn't even know. Wow, I'm really sorry to hear that. Providing food and friends, you know, hand-raised and people-friendly. That's a shame. I'm sorry to hear that. That's that's a tough one. Um, it's it's tough, you know. I, I talk about this all the time. Nature's, nature doesn't love you. Nature doesn't care about you. Nature does what it does with no respect whatsoever to, to your wants, needs, hopes, and dreams, you know. It's just like the whole debate with uh, the military and transgender and all that stuff. I'm going to talk about that. I know you're probably guessing what I'm going to talk about on Wednesday. going to talk about that. Uh, and some other stuff. How many were able to listen this last Wednesday? Because I basically repeated Sunday because we had all that major, and I hope hopefully I sound pretty good because we have the other mic back and um, we're hopefully good to go. But I felt like I didn't want to shortchange you, and I also felt like the the audience out in the world, the larger audience, one point I think it was 1.58 million people listened by Thursday. 1.58 million people had listened. I haven't looked at the numbers today. The point is is I felt like that was a message that was destined to be preached one way or the other to the Wednesday audience. So I hope you listen. If you didn't listen, please uh, give it a listen. So you heard the saying. Now, this is pedantic at best. I, 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 don't, like, I don't like this saying just because um, I think it undermines uh, a lot of things. One second. Somebody says, put the mic closer to your mouth. There we go. As close as I can. I either got to get a bigger mouth or a longer boom. Um, but thank you for, for that. So the saying is, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Right? I, I, anybody know anybody that, that did that? They're, they're doing, right? You're probably doing it. You love, you work very hard. Who do you know? What do they do? Is it you? Because I know you're retired now, but was that you? You love doing, I don't know how anybody can love math. We have two math teachers here. I don't know how that happened. Lord is keeping me. Keeping, 
showing. Oh, well, you're awesome at it. I, I'm the Bennett. I don't think. What do you What do you call that? That hat you made for me. Remember the little hat you made for me. You made me a hat last winter. Yeah, it's the kind with the knots. Names escaping me. Crocheting. You crocheted me a hat. I actually wear that hat, believe it or not. It's a lot of fun to wear. People always comment on it. It's a conversation piece. I know you probably thought I wouldn't wear it, but I did, and I do. So I'm special. I wear pink shirts and baby blue shirts and pink shorts and all that stuff, too. I'm not afraid. If you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Man, let's think about that for a half a second. I know people, like I, I know some uh, celebrities and, and uh, you know, really famous people, but I also know uh, race car drivers. I know uh, people who, I know pilots, and they, you know, they do it for a living. A couple of pilots are, are fighter pilots in the military, about to retire. Uh, but I know some other people who, who do other types of things. And you know what? They're dangerous. Their jobs are dangerous. Uh, they're very high stress. And, you know, when you're in it, you know, it's, I don't care. Look, I don't care how much you love your job. You do any job 80 to 100 hours a week. Guess what? It's going to be hard on you. So you can say it's not work, but it's going to feel an awful lot like work when you lay your head on the pillow. But there's, there's some value in that saying. It makes some sense there. If you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Love what you do, never work a day. You've also heard people, maybe this is your own self saying, I'm just trying to find my calling. I'm just trying to, well, why are you standing still? Why are you not doing anything? Why are you complaining? Why are you so mad? Why are you so upset? Why are you so unfulfilled? I'm just trying to find my calling, my passion. And when I do find my calling, my passion, my drive, my pursuit, whatever, I will be happy. It's an if-then proposition, isn't it? Right? If this happens or when this happens, then I'll be whatever it is you think you're going to be. Yeah. It's, 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 how many people know people like that? They're still doing it. You know, they're 60, 70, you know, they're still doing it. Oh, what I find, you know, this, this thing, this whatever thing. And, uh, and I just am of the belief, not just secularly, but also from a biblical perspective and from a, from a faith perspective, I just have never felt that way. I've always tried to find a way to love what I'm doing, no matter what it is. And I've had some real poopy jobs, let's put it that way. I've had some not-so-nice jobs, uh, really not nice, really not good jobs, not good conditions, not good pay, or super dangerous and not as the fun kind of dangerous that I talk about, but the not fun dangerous. And so people out there are going, what dangerous, fun job? What are you talking about? But there are jobs that are fun. I mean, it's, it's fun, and you like to do it. I like to do it. And, but I've had a lot of jobs that weren't rewarding in any way, shape, or form, except for the fact that I was taught very early on, and if my buddy Chuck is listening, my buddy Chuck, of course, my family, my mother and father, very hard workers, very hard workers, very much go-getters. My mom, little tiny thing, boom, she's 100 miles an hour, always has been, still is, 87 years old, still going after it. So still out in the yard picking up sticks when the tree breaks off branches, you know. And, uh, and my dad was a hard worker and, and dedicated to his job and feeding his family. And, and the rest of my family, hard workers, you know. But I really learned work ethic, true work ethic, but not just work. Because, you know, you can have a good work ethic, but be miserable. You can be a miserable cuss and cuss all the time because you're miserable. But the point is, is you can be that way. Well, my, my buddy Chuck, I mean, I talked about him last week, always a brother. Uh, and, and he and I kind of grew up together, and we've been super close friends since day, you know, when I was just young, super young. And I happened to work with him on several jobs before he went off to college. And, 
And I watched him, and I thought, man, this this kid's got a lot on his shoulders. He needs to get, he's got to pay for college himself, which I, you know I had to pay for everything myself too. But but he has a good attitude. He's fun. He's happy. He's whatever. We'd be working at Roy Rogers behind the grill and on the fryer and whatever. And but he's happy, and we're having fun. He's always trying to. And other people be complaining. We worked at this fancy restaurant in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, called the Seahorse. And the Seahorse at that time was the fanciest. Uh, fanciest restaurant out there uh, in in that area, but it was hard work. People, you know, they expected a high level of service, great food, uh, you know, all these things, and you had to really be squared away. Those are long hours, hard hours, till the wee hours of the morning. And so Chuck, when he worked there, he was the best at what he did, always had a positive attitude, always high energy, never complained, always found a way to put the customer first. So I learned that from him. I learned that, you know, work ethic is one thing, but if you complain and whine and moan, does it really send any positive single, uh, signal? So, anyway, what I just said, I'm just trying to find my calling, my passion, what you know, whatever you want to call it. When I do find my calling, passion, drive, pursuit, whatever, I will be happy. That sounds like a soup. You better have a big vehicle with a big bumper because that sounds like very bumper stickery to me. And it's not the biblical benchmark that we're trying to hit here. This is not what we're pursuing. That's not the benchmark. That's just not the benchmark. And I'm sorry that Jill's not here. She's taking care of her mom. But Jill, you know, I really picked up on this from her. Work until he comes. We're to work until he comes. But how are believers supposed to work? How? You know, how are they to be? How are they to work and how are they to be? How are believers, people of supposed faith, supposed to view their job? You know, how how are they supposed to look at it? How are they supposed to act out in their job? What is it they're supposed to do in their job? How are believers, people of supposed faith, supposed to view their job? Tough question. Tough question. So here we go. And every man is work. Mark 13, 34. That's a, a little snippet of that. The portion of divine truth this speci- this specific idea, and I want you to understand, we're talking real raw and real here. This is this is, and and some folks, uh, both in the live audience and also on the radio, I happen to know many of the live audience and many of the the radio audience, they're retired. So you say, well, this doesn't really apply to me. Oh, it absolutely does, and you'll see how. Remember, we're using two voices, up on the pulpit talking in church, and then we're out in the real world walking around dealing with the everyday life and our exposure to perhaps either people on the fence believing-wise, right, people that maybe uh, their faith has been, let's just call it, maybe it's been shattered. Maybe maybe their faith has been uh, put into great struggle and great jeopardy because of, air quotes, Christians who didn't behave very Christian in the workplace. Testimony. You know, your testimony. Your test becomes your testimony. And that sounds like a bumper sticker, too, but it's true. Your test becomes your testimony. Look, when everything's great, you have the exact job you want to have, you're driving the exact car you want to have, you have the exact spouse you want to have, you live in the exact house you want to have, and your bank account's full of millions of dollars, it is easy to be happy. But how many people do we know? Both know personally and know of. I know I know personally and I know of people who are mega millionaires. I'm thinking of someone right now that's worth just about a billion dollars, literally, not figuratively, just about a billion dollars. I've had the opportunity to counsel him over the years, and, and he was an unbe 37-year-old, nearly billionaire. He's probably a billionaire by now. 
He invented some things. He was smart. He invested his money. Uh, he was frugal. And and he really, really did well financially. Uh, and he deserved it because he, you know, he put it all in line. Hello to our good buddy, Don, who's recovering. We'll add him to our prayer list or keep him on the prayer list. And if you pray out there, out in the radio land, if you'd add Don to your list, I'd sure appreciate it. Great guy. Great, great guy. Great friend of the show. So I guess the point I'm trying to get at, and I keep saying that we have to know this first. I'll mess around triple on that and fall, won't I? Um, the, the point I'm trying to get at and the, part, the place I want you to be emotionally thinking this through with me, going through this with me, is I want you to, I want you to think about it, it's not circumstances that drives how you are in your life in that place and in that time. It's not the circumstances. I'm going to tell you, I talked on Wednesday about my favorite Christmas. I still remember my favorite Christmas, a brain injury. Could not take it away from me. It's when my mom and I moved. I was just a little bitty boy. My mom and I moved the kitchen table so I could play with that toy that she got me called the Hairy Canary. And she sat down on the floor with me and played. And, you know, Christmas morning, you know, it was just the best time ever. And I, I remember I didn't get much else that year. None of us did. It was lean times, you know. It was really, really lean times. My favorite Christmas, the whole, my whole lifetime, favorite Christmas of all time. So circumstances really don't have to dictate how you are, what you're feeling, how you're living out your life, what, how, the message you send to the world. But listen, you can be nice to your workmates. You can be nice to the people at the whatever coffee shop you stop at. I make my own. It's awesome. Um, it, it really is. I, my coffee is awesome. Not bragging. It's just true. So, and I like a good, I only have one cup of coffee, but I like it to be good. So, Wherever you go, you know, on your way to work, you know, or if you ride a bus to work, whatever, you you find a way to be nice to those people. But sometimes the person we're not so nice to are who? Who who do we expose? Our spouse, right? Our spouses are the ones that sometimes we take take some stuff out on, right? Sometimes we do that because we're all bound up on it. Well, maybe if you don't have a spouse but you're close friends with somebody, you're really, really close to that person. Maybe they don't live in the home with you, but that's the person you communicate with the most, and sometimes that person takes the brunt of it. And if you have kids at home, sometimes it can be your kids, right? It can be your kids that take the brunt of your unhappiness for whatever the cause is. My buddy, he he had a bad situation. Uh, Even though he was back then worth, you know, Almost a billion dollars, had an incredible life, but there was some stuff going on in his life that was that was really contributing to terrible unhappiness. And thankfully, we were able to help him and uh, eliminate some things that were really causing a major problem. And then now he's the most happy-go-lucky guy. You say, well, of course he is. He's probably a billionaire. It, I can tell you, I was with him during the darkest of his times where he, he literally, uh, and if he's listening, he can validate this. He he had uh, a jet and he had a helicopter and he had pilots for all those things and he actually was contemplating as we were sitting on his uh, little patio. He lived on a somewhat of a peninsula and he had a, a landing pad, a helicopter landing pad, on his property. So the helicopter would come over this beautiful land of marshes and streams and and land right there behind his house. And you know we would sit there, we would sit there for hours and talk about his situation. And he said, I actually was thinking about having my uh, pilot just take me up high. How high will this thing go? And then just hitting the unlock on the door and jumping out. 
leaving a note saying, "Hey, buddy, I'm sorry, but I just, I, 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 this needs to be over. My life needs to be over. I'm just tired of it." That's how. That's and he was rich, right? Got a helicopter, got pilots, got a jet, got a, every kind of hit a 15 car garage, every kind of car. Bless you, every kind of car you can imagine. His favorite vehicle was a 1972 F-150 uh, pickup truck. I know. Mr. Stavely in the back is just shaking his head. Boy, couldn't he come up with a better one than a Ford? Um, that's a Ford thing. I, I happen to have Fords. Um, so so my point is I want to take you to that place. I want you to be in that place where no matter what your job is, I want you to understand before we move forward that it's real important to grasp this truth that your job has nothing to do with your joy, your house has nothing to do, your neighborhood has nothing to do. Uh, it's It's attitude and faith that has everything to do with it, everything to do with it. I'm just going to tell you this. If she's listening, I hope she's not going to blush. But one of the nicest smiles I think I've ever seen is Bryn Sellers. Bryn Sellers, we pray for Cole and Carson. Uh, we continue to pray for them. In, even in the storm that she's in and their family is in, if you can get that girl to smile, you're going to see something special. It's going to light up the room, I'm telling you. It's just a beautiful thing. And her dad, Jerry, and Joe, they, Mom Joe, they, they have beautiful smiles too, and we love we love to see that. But this is a special, special thing to see her smile. And she will smile because despite this massive storm that I think most people would just buckle under, uh, she's she's still forging ahead. She still follow her at Bryn, Bryn Sellers, B-R-Y-N-S-E-L-L-E-R-S, I think it is, dot com. She does a blog. She just posted today. Very powerful. Very, very powerful blog. you got to read today's. That'll, that'll rock your soul. So... We've, we've covered enough pre-stuff, and, and you're probably thinking there can't be much left of this sermon, but there is. The thing is, we have to understand that all of us have a divine purpose. And that's bumper stickery, too, you know? It's like you see those coexist. Bumper, you could put divine purpose on there and, I guess, make it look kind of funky and whatever you want uh, out of it. But the, ultimately, it comes down to this, that we all have that. And we, we don't think that we do, but we do. Um, and people will come to me and they'll say, hey, you're a counselor, you're a pastor, you're a psychology guy, you know, Mr. Dr. Greener. So what do I do here? Because I want to find my way. I, I'm tired of being unhappy. And it always reminds me of the song, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And I say, do that part first. Be faithful in your life. And part of that being faithful is not being a sourpuss all the daggone time. You've got to let that sourpuss crap go because it will do nothing but poison you because the poison goes inside, and it poisons people around you. And you know who it poisons around you? The people that love you the most. You test their patience. You test their love. You test all those things needlessly so when you're sourpuss, um, you know, crabby patty, you know, you're just this crabby person, and there's no reason to be like that. Then you say, well, that's easy for you to say. Listen, spend a day in my shoes, and you will never say to me again, that's easy for you to say. I'm telling you, it's not that I have it any worse than anybody else, but I'm telling you, I know from whence I speak. In religion, we have a lot to learn. For me, that's part of what I love about my faith, you know. I love that even if I didn't have this brain injury uh, from the crash, I still would love to learn. The thing is, is when I hit my head on that cargo 92 miles per hour, guess what? I forgot. I forgot Greek. I forgot uh, the Russian that I knew. I forgot, you know, a lot of these things. I forgot it. I forgot most of the Bible that I had memorized, all gone. Every bit of it was gone. The only thing I still knew was the English language. And even then, 
it's been severely impacted. My ability to recall words and, and terms of phrases and things like that, little quips that I used to love to do, uh, I just can't do it anymore. I, I, don't, I don't remember it. And sometimes are worse than today where I don't remember it at all. And I, can, I basically communicate on a very, very basic level. So, but the thing that I give thanks to God for is when that crash happened, I had to learn over again the stuff I forgot in an instant. I had to learn it over again. And it gave me a greater passion for Scripture. It gave me, but not just Scripture, not just the memorizing of Scripture or the memorizing of languages or the, the nuances or the, the idiom, the Hebrew idioms. It gave me a new perspective on it, how precious it was to know what it means underneath that thing, the foundational stuff. Not the real impressive academic stuff, because that's kind of what drove me a little bit before. I like to get straight A's, and I would say, no, it's not about A's, it's about blah, 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 it's to God be the glory, blah, 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 you know, bumper sticker. Um, you know, you couldn't even see my car. If, if I actually had all the bumper stickers that I've claimed, you would never, I wouldn't need paint, because it would be just covered with bumper stickers. So, so, you know, but I would say that, false humility, you know, to God be the glory. Uh, and then I would go, oh, I impressed them with my you know, super spiritual, super, you know, scripture knowledge and all this. But it means nothing. It's, it's, it's just a vapor. That All that stuff's a vapor. But I do enjoy learning. There's much, there's much to learn. The mystery of godliness, air quotes, godliness is a great thing for us. And it's spread out before us through examples that we have in scripture. And so what we should do is, this is just me saying it. Well, it's not just me. It's scripture, but whatever. Believe who you want. We should try to expand our knowledge so that we can expand the effectiveness of our faith every day. Every day. It sounds crazy, I know, it sounds impossible, but that's what our pursuit is to be. Now, let's go let's go in a little bit. I think in faith and our faith, religion, well I don't do organized religion, well whatever. Um in our faith in the practice the orthopraxis of our faith, the way we live out our faith, I think there's a lot to enjoy. It's not one of these things that I'm like, ugh, you know, so boring. Now, you, anybody who knows me knows I hate meetings. The reason I'll go to any meeting that Jerry Summers is in charge of. You know why? It's going to start on time. You'll have an agenda that is representative of reality, and he will cover all the points. And he will not allow somebody to go, nah, 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 nah. you know, people, every meeting you've ever been to, there's always that one person, loves to hear themselves talk. They always ask a question. They weren't paying attention. The question was answered 27 times, and they still ask it and whatever. They want to talk about the bigger things of life. Meanwhile, people are looking at their watch going, look, I'm hungry. Jerry has a meeting, man. You're in, you're out. Better pay attention because it's going to go fast. So there's much to learn. There's much to do. There's much to enjoy in our faith. There are lots of blessings, and they're rich and overflowing blessings. We we ask I don't know how I don't know maybe maybe it's just me, but I ask God before I touch Scripture I say God help me to see, help me to learn, help me to help me to absorb, but not just the knowledge of it, but what to do with it. What to do with it? Much to enjoy in religion. There's also much to endure. That's not news. Look, I'm not I'm not breaking news here. This is not big news. We're doing. Look, there's afflictions. I think of Cole and Carson and. And and uh, and and you know my buddy uh, Eric, you know he's gone to his reward now. But you know it was terrible. I mean it was a terrible two and a half three years. 
the guy had to go through a lot. He went through a lot of terrible things. My buddy Chris, I mean, my goodness, so much, so much, so many others, so many others. There's just so many people out there enduring such terrible, terrible things, temptations. Look, I don't know about you, but I don't like being tempted, and I'm tempted a lot. Distresses. Tribulations in your life. You know, that's a churchy word, but tribulations. You get in a, you get in a situation where you're like, oh, look, I, I don't know about you. How many in here have ever not known where their next meal is coming from? My hand's being raised because I do know that. I have known what it's like to not know where the next meal is coming from and miss several meals. Now, you're looking at me now probably going, you could miss a few more. But the, but ultimately, the truth underlying that truth is I know what it's like to not know where my next meal is. I know what it's like to to not just to wonder, just to wonder, man, I, I know what it's like. How am I going to get through this one? Because this is bad. This is a bad situation. Had no backup plan, had no pool of money I was eventually going to get. I had no, you know, obviously not very pretty, uh, you know, not as easy to look at as some others. And how am I going to, how's this going to happen? Seemed like I had the whole world against me. You ever been there? Casting Crowns does a song called Praise Him. I'm going to praise him in the storm. At the end of this, and I believe this, the Lord gave me this for the Sellers family, but specifically for Bren, my friend Bren, gave me this song. Popped up in my head. I did a search for it, put it up on the sound system. Boom. Blew me away. Ended my worship time in total and absolute boo-hooey. Standing, literally standing with my arms raised as far as I could raise them. Tears streaming down my face. My dog Buckeye looked at me going, what's wrong, Daddy? What's wrong? But seeing that I was crying through tears and just praising God for people who are going to, they're going to praise him in the storm. And, 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 and that sounds like another bumper sticker. But it's true. And they sing this song. And I don't know if you ever want to listen to the lyrics of that. Uh, Casting crowns, praise him in the storm. It's, it's powerful, folks. That's a powerful. And it's, it's not silly business. It's not silly, but it's real. They, those guys in Casting Crowns, you know, they all, uh, almost all of them teach Sunday school. Every Sunday they're home to teach Sunday school. One of the biggest Christian bands ever. And they, they say, hey, we'll come home to our home church. One of them preaches. The other, several others teach Sunday school. Some little kids, you know, they teach. And, and you know, they're just all about it, you know. They're serious business. They're, they're doing it. Look, there's... There's afflictions, there's tribulation, there's temptations, there's distress. Health is one of them. In religion, there's there's a lot to be done, too. You know, there's a lot to be done. You ever you ever have a little project? You know, you're gonna plant. You have a little six by six garden, right? And you're gonna plant the garden. And so you say, well, I'm gonna get my buddy up in a uh, great listener up in New York, New York State, Craig. They they have the garden of all gardens. I'm telling you, this garden is unreal. I've seen photographs of it. One day I'm gonna see it live and in person. I mean, their garden is unreal. It it looks like a major project, but it's pristine. You know, it's just pristine. I know your garden. I've eaten lots and lots of your food. I mean, it's it's awesome. That's awesome. But I'm going to say the bigger the garden, the more that has to be done, right? You just don't plant a garden. Planting it by itself, preparing it, it's hard. It's hard stuff. But if you plant a really big garden, guess what? You're going to work really, really hard. Well, there's much to be done in our faith, too. There's, it's, it's, it's really a practical thing. It's a matter of practicality. And I'll tell you what, too. Obedience, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. 
Obedience is the great evidence of true discipleship. Listen, we can talk a good game. We can. We can talk a good game. We can We can make it sound good. We get lots of bumper stickers out there. But obedience is the great evidence of true discipleship. If you know and you're happy, if you're happy and you know it, do what? Clap your hands, say amen, stomp your feet, whatever. A lot of people out there not clapping their hands, not stomping their feet. They say, well, you don't know my situation. You don't know my My situation is harder than other people's. I'm uniquely defeated. I'm uniquely afflicted. I'm uniquely alone. I'm uniquely whatever. There's always somebody that can say that. And look, I don't seek to minimize your struggle or your pain. Some of that is emotional illness. It's, it's perspective. It's, the, it's, the, it's how you view it. Remember what I said? Circumstances should never dictate your attitude, your, your faith, the, the orthopraxis. Of, it should never do that, but it always does. Because why? Because we're human. We're human. And right now, I know all of you in the live audience, probably 90%, are thinking of someone who does that who their circumstances are always beating down. Eventually, your your circumstances will catch up to your attitude or your attitude will catch up to your circumstances, whichever one, whoever that person you are. You've heard, again, another bumper sticker, glass half full or glass half empty. I'm just thankful I have a glass, you know. I'm just thankful I have a glass. And it's a weird thing about me that was before the crash, too. I can't blame it on the crash, but the crash really laser-focused gratitude, gratitude. Man, drove on the way here, and there was a crash right at my crash site. Not a fatal by any stretch, but another crash at the crash site, multiple vehicle thing. So here's the principle. Every single person, every single person of faith, you have a work assigned to you to do from God. I'm not talking in this case. Remember, I'm up on the pulpit still behind the lectern. I never stand behind a lectern. That's funny, unless I can't stand up or I have my cane and I'm holding on to it. Don't feel, I normally walk around. But the point of this is, every single person of faith, if you believe in God, you've got a job to do. You've got a, a divine assignment from God. But before we get there to that thing you do outside your body, this is the thing you do inside your body, the work of repentance and faith. Don't let anybody tell you that people of great faith have it easy. Don't let anybody tell you that. Stop believing that lie. And some people tell themselves that. Yeah, well, this person has this great faith because they're childish. I've had people tell me that. People I love, actually, tell me the reason why you're a little touched in the head. There's reason why you have this weird faith where you're happy, even though circumstances aren't great, folks. They aren't great in my life. They are not great at all. But I can tell you this, I am grateful, and I am joyful, and I will be so until the end. I am a person who fights for life. I love to be alive. But I'm not fighting for life because I'm afraid of death. I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't fight for life because heaven is a, is a worse alternative. No, heaven is awesome. Heaven is awesome. I won't even remember this life because heaven is so good. But the fact of the matter of it is, is God put me here for a reason. I need to find out why. I need to work on that. I need to work through that. I need to not quit on the living part because the other side is so good. It's just like, you know, I know a person that's due to get a, a big inheritance, and but they still work hard. They still work hard. I have such respect for somebody, and it's, you know, not going to be that far off. You know, it's not going to be 20 years or probably even 10 years. It's going to be less than that, and and their life will change dramatically, but they're still working hard. 
My friend Morty, I told you guys about my friend Morty, great great Orthodox Jew. He and his wife have gone to their reward. Um, Morty, 85 years old, still working it, still hustling. I found out after he died that he was worth hundreds of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars, owned entire blocks in Brooklyn, New York, owned every structure on the block. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Had hundreds of rental properties. You'd never know by meeting the guy. Little tiny, little tiny Brooklyn Jew talked to me like this. Sean, you know you can't cook. You know you went and bought that somewhere. No, I didn't. Guy worked hard, though, even in his retirement up to the end. Repentance and faith is not an easy path. I want you to know it occurs inside you. Listen, if you're walking around carrying, if you've done something that you haven't confessed to the person who you did wrong or persons, and you haven't confessed it to God truly and honestly, not making a bunch of excuses, but or you're doing something now, get it off your chest. Get it over with. Let the chips fall where they may and move forward and move on and move up because you will never progress into the kingdom here on earth until you deal with that now. And that takes guts. That takes guts. Play it, religion. Don't play the look. Don't play the talk. Don't, don't play it, religion. Be real with yourself and be real with others, especially the people that you love, especially people that you've harmed. Repentance and faith. I say uh, hesitant faith is no faith at all, and people hate me for that saying. They really do. They hate me for that saying. Why? Because it puts upon them the weight of the realization that you've got to make a decision. You've got to make a decision. What did I say last week? I have decided to follow Jesus, right? That great hymn, that great, great hymn. I think we even sang it. You were kind enough to play it. Um, We're so fortunate to have Steve play music for us. It's just a wonderful, wonderful gift that he gives. And I know you're super tired when you get here. God bless you. We thank you so much for it. It's so uplifting, isn't it? To be able to just sing to the Lord. It's wonderful. Such a wonderful thing. But I'm going to tell you, it's a decision every day. Who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow all the crap that comes from the world? Are you going to follow stuff that you know is simply not of God? Or are you going to follow the blessing of God? God loves you. God sent his son to die for you. God vacated the cross and vacated the grave for you. I always use the example, other people have it a lot worse than me. Why would I complain? Somebody said to me the other day, in fact, it was a real nice lady who works for a government. I won't say who she works for, but she said to me the other day, well, a couple of weeks ago, she said, you know, I love your attitude. Man, I got tears in my eyes. She said, you know, she wasn't a Christian. I established at the end that she wasn't a Christian. She said, with what's happened to you and what you go through on a daily basis, it is, and I'm not saying this to toot my own horn, because it's not a horn tooting thing. It's not a horn tooting moment. It's God. I trust God that he is in control. I Look, I, I, I was a control freak, 80 hours, 100 hours a week, every week. I was a control. I wanted to control everything. I wanted to control everything, everything I did. At 6-18-2012, 6-18 p.m., I found out, you know what I'm not in control of? Anything. Now, I can't control how hard I work. I can control my attitude about my work. I, can control, I can't control if a car's going to cross 48 feet at 109 miles per hour, hit me at 92 miles per hour head on. I cannot control that. Can't do it. But I can control how I look at that event. 
I can control what I do on the days where I can't walk and I can't put my words together and I can't brush my teeth and I can't tie my shoes and I can't remember what day it is and I can't remember what month it is and I don't know where I live and all of those things. I can control that. You cannot tell me that I don't have control of that. I reject that out of hand. But you know, there's a lot of people out there with a grand life that millions of people would die for that complain and yell and 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 kvetch over and never find joy until until when this if you would just if my friend would just if my workplace would just that's a bunch of crap and it doesn't fit with what God's told us and God tells us the truth I'm just repeating it there's work of personal religion Work out your own salvation. You know, that, that has a negative connotation. But let me tell you where that applies. It's been so mistranslated and mispresented over time. No, you cannot earn your salvation at all. But there's work for us to do that shows evidence of our salvation, shows that we get it. Give diligence, fervent in spirit. You know, it's not easy to be fervent in spirit. It's funny because... I'll just share this with you. It's very embarrassing in many respects, but I'll just share this with you. Before my crash, I worshipped. I wasn't one to raise my hand a whole lot. I was. I would clap my hands, but I'd be looking around, you know, because I think people, you know, get a little lost in the spirit, get get a little touched in the spirit. I'd think, mm-hmm, okay, yeah, you know, that's good for you. As I'm doing a little side step, give a little space in between. That person looks like they're going to freak out a little bit. I wasn't raised. Pentecostal or charismatic or any of those things. I wasn't raised that. Holy Spirit was Holy Spirit. You behave appropriately around the Holy Spirit. You don't get all crazy because you don't know. You know, folks be a little touched in the head. Don't want to admit that that's what it really is about. But when I worship now, and it's and and I have worship time, and I don't know when it's coming. By the way, it, I don't know when that's coming. But when the Lord says it's time to worship, shut everything off. Shut everything off. I'll have the TV on. We have a sound system. My son was so sweet to hook us up with, you know, knowing the right things to get. And Lord forbid there's 11 remotes and I don't know how to work it. So I have to call him and say, hey, how do I do this? So, but then I'll put this thing on called YouTube and I'll play worship music. And you know what I don't even have to do? I don't even have to touch that thing. After I type in Gaither vocal band or Gaither homecoming or David Phelps or Guy Penrod or whoever, Russ Taff, the background. And I'll hear hymns of my childhood that I remember that I that I had memorized before and then stood around and watched people sing it as though that wasn't the best thing they'd ever heard in their life, these lyrics to this beautiful hymn. And I would think to myself, got to be low-key here, got to be cool. You know, I was coming up pre-crash. Now I don't care. And Lord help you, if, if worship busts out while you're at my house, everything else stops. But but one particular time, one of my neighbors, you know, I had windows, you know, they didn't have the shades drawn or anything and had the music playing. Possibly, I, I this has not been confirmed, but maybe a little too loud. And I was standing up and I had my arms. I can't raise my arms much higher than this, but I had my arms up and I was tears streaming down my face. Just so grateful. Thanking the Father, the Heavenly Father has provided everything I need. And and it just hit me, Father, thank you so much. My goodness, I don't warrant this, but you did it anyway. Oh, what you've done in putting people of faith in front of me. 
that they that they minister to me and and that I have the opportunity still to minister to people. Oh my goodness. I don't even know. I still look at my my puppy and I say to myself, she's 8 years old and I say, "Father, thank you for that grand companion you gave me." And I'm out in wilderness. Some this is happening out in wilderness, but this particular time one of my neighbors said sent me a text message said, "Are you okay?" exclamation 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 question my question my question. Well, of course, I didn't see that until after worship was over, and I was like, why? What's up? Um, we saw you jump around like maybe you was getting stung by a few bees in your house. And I was like, oh, I was just getting my worship on. Resume your normal activity. What a blessing. But, you know, fervent in spirit, sometimes you got to go deep for that. And you have to put yourself emotionally at risk when you do it. That's the thing I did never understand. Because I want to be in control. You know, I always want to be in control. We can always rely on him to be in control. Listen, when you're fervent in the spirit, that does not mean, and you're worshiping, and you're, you're fervent. You, you believe what you believe, and you will not be moved. That takes effort on your part, and it also takes risk and, and vulnerability. There's the work of relative piety. And, folks, nobody wants to use that term in, in the postmodern Western evangelical church, but there's a certain element of piety, too. And piety isn't acting in a certain way or, you know, wearing certain clothes. Piety is, to some degree, not allowing people to talk about your father the way that they do. Not allowing people to, to, to drag Jesus, the man upstairs, the big guy, the big JC, you know. Not allowing people to talk about Heavenly Father the way that they do. Now, you can't stop them. They have free speech. You can certainly stand up. There's a church in Sussex County right now. This pains me so much. That's the county where I grew up. There's only three counties in Delaware, and I grew up in Sussex, the best. And there's a church there that put a sign up that said it was it's Adam and Steve, or Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, dash God. As you know, there's a, a large gay population there. And... Uh, Somebody drove by, this is what they said, this is not true, but they drove by and they said, oh, my, my partner was so devastated reading that. It was just so upsetting to read. They took them to court, and I'm here to tell you, they won. And they made them take it down, and they made them pay a huge fine. And they posted it in the newspaper and posted it on the television down there, and it's devastating. Because that's free speech, folks. That's free speech. Now, I don't think anybody should make fun of I have good friends, good friends, and I have family. That are that are gay, on both sides, women and men, and I'm and I'm telling you, I love them. And if you ever raised a hand to them, you have to go through me. I give every last little ounce of effort I have to protect them from being abused by other people. The Bible says what it says; it's clear. I don't have to harp on it. I don't have to. I don't have to wear it out. I just have to speak the truth. I don't spend a lot of time on it because the Bible's clear. This is not one of those things. This whole abortion issue. I don't understand why there's all this debate. The Bible's clear. Bible's clear. It's real clear. So I don't have to spend a lot of time on it. It says we're not supposed to hate them. Don't hate the sinner. Hate the sin. I'm looking at them. I look back at me. i got lots, lots to be embarrassed about. But relative piety, standing up. Discharging those religious duties in our various stations of life. Parents, raising your kids. Look, they, they could go astray. They could go astray, absolutely. It happens all the time. I tell you what, you send your kid to college, 43% by the end of, and I'm talking hardcore Christian, self-identifying, I am a believer in the living Son of God. And I'll go to my grave believing in him. End of freshman year. 
well, I believe it's, you 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 know, in a power of the higher being, but I don't know that it's God. I don't think anybody really does. But the end, and some of them, 43% say, nah, I don't believe that anymore. Thank you, universities. Appreciate that. Goodness, I'm almost out of time. I didn't even get the way through. Y'all talk too much. Children, you have an obligation. You have an obligation. You're ch- Listen, children, we teach them. They have an obligation to learn and obey. And if they don't, guess what? There's a high price to pay. Bosses and employees. Religious. If you're a person of faith and you own a business, or you you are, you better run it right. You better have one set of books. You better run it right. You better run it right. What is moral and right? Now, what the state says isn't always true and right. I'm going to just tell you that right now. A lot of what the state does, uh, you know, remember the Catholic churches and the universities that they were being forced to provide um, birth control. The Catholic church says no birth control. They were being forced to provide abortion services. Catholic church says no abortion. Some stuff you got to say, yeah, you're, you go against God, i got to go against you. Spiritual influence, our generational work, the things that we do to lead our friends and our family around us, we've got to be, we've got to believe in what we believe. You know what? To some, they're led, again, this is from the pulpit, the work of the ministry. And, and from the pulpit, I'm saying, as the leader of this Kehala and ministry around the world, I'm telling you right now, sometimes it's not that you're to become a pastor. It's not that you're to become a deacon. It's not that you're to become an it's, it's You're a person who makes great pie. I wrote a 20-minute play that talks about perfect the, the perfect um, rolls. They're not called uh, biscuits, perfect biscuits. Six perfect biscuits is what it's called. And it's about a family, a young family, who they have a few kids, and one of them gets sick at a very young age and dies of childhood leukemia. And it caused such a great rift between the, the husband and the wife that they were it was, it, we just didn't know that they were going to make it as a, as a husband and wife. And the, the kids, the, the, the surviving kids were alienated. And they were struggling. And, and, and this, this little play that I did demonstrates that, that interplay and the struggle there. And there were people that would come from the church and the pastor and the deacons, and they'd say, listen, you know, we haven't seen you at church. We're worried about you. Gosh, we're, our heart hurts for you, but you need to come back and all this stuff. And, and, but none of them had lost a kid. None of them lost anybody, really in their life. And then this little lady, I don't want to I don't want to give it away, but I will. Um this little old lady, she made perfect biscuits. That's what she's known for. She made perfect biscuits. And you know when somebody would have a funeral, she'd bring her biscuits and everybody said, "Oh my goodness, you put I won't say what her name is in case you ever see the play. Um she makes perfect biscuits. But she always brings six. Don't you wonder and the first six people to get there, they always were like, "Oh man, I got to get one of her biscuits because she only ever makes six. Now, fair enough, they were remembering how I wrote this is, has just come back into my mind. What was happening around me when I wrote this, striking. If you ever go see the play or if you're ever in a church where they put this play on, you'll know. So this lady only brings six. And so perfect, perfect biscuits. And so one day, we'll knock on the little young couple's door and, the husband answers the door, and before they lost his child, listen, he was a nice guy. He was involved in the church. He was a trustee. He helped keep the grass mowed and the flowers and the mulch and all. And when something broke, he was always first one there, helping out. He'd bring the little ones. And 
Come on, let's go serve Jesus. But he stepped away, stepped back. He said, no God. No God would ever, if he loves me, would ever take my child away. And he was mad at his wife and mad at the other kids and mad at everybody and mad at the church and mad at God. So he let the lady in, didn't even say anything to her. He just kind of pointed to the kitchen. She's in there. The wife was in there, and she was on her eighth cup of coffee for the day, and she still couldn't barely drag herself out of her low, low place. And the lady had a little little doily over the, I don't think you call them a doily, but whatever they're called, little thing over a cloth over her basket. And she said, hey, listen, I wanted, to, I wanted to bring these by and offer you any help I could, but I just wanted to bring you these biscuits. The woman had had enough. The young lady, the young mom, lost her child, had had enough. And she lost her cool. She lost her testimony. She lost everything at that moment. And she started screaming at this dear lady, why do you insist on bringing these stupid biscuits everywhere you go? Something happens, you bring these stupid biscuits. You know what? I'm going to tell you something. I don't even think they're that good. Not that I've ever had one because you only, you're so stingy and selfish, you only bring six biscuits. Who brings six biscuits to a function, to a funeral, to anything? It's the stupidest thing. You're a stupid person. There must be something wrong with you. Get out of my house. I don't even want to, you don't know anything about what I'm going through. So stop acting like you do. You just go in your little stupid kitchen. You probably have a dirty, stupid little kitchen with stupid little old-time stove, and you make stuff out of twigs and sticks and dirt, and you go bring it someplace, and everybody's all excited because, ooh, Miss Betsy, she's brought her biscuits, and then there's only six of them, only lucky six. I don't even know why you do it. It's stupid. I'm tired of seeing it. I'm tired of seeing your face smiling all the time. You must be touched in the head. What's wrong with you? And she smiled a little bit. She reached out. She was going to pat her on the hand and say, you know why I bring six biscuits? Because 21 years ago, I was riding in a car with my husband and my children and a drunk driver crossed the center line and killed my family. And I was all that was left. Six of my family in a moment. I remember one day I will see them again. Second part of this message will be preached next Sunday. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today.